This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. I think it's Friday night. I think it's about 11 o'clock Eastern Standard Time, which is where I am. So we, uh, what we usually do on these Friday evenings is Will Alred and I get to meet, meet or re-meet some creators in the indie comics community. Uh, Will, how are you tonight? Doing all right. Uh, I guess as well as can be expected. Um. As well as can be expected. <laughs> um, I, I talked to Taylor uh Taylor Curry Smith and Russell Nahelty. I'm meeting T- Taylor for the first time this evening. Um, we're going to do this like we always do. We're going to talk about indie comics. We are going to try to have a great time, uh, try to be funny, and look at great projects. Uh, what I did want to say before we start, that doesn't mean that we do not realize what is happening in the world. It doesn't mean we don't care. It, uh, it means that one of the things that I realized I dove into at the beginning of the pandemic was Netflix, Hulu, Disney Plus, etc. Um, great stories are things that got me through a rough time. And so what we're going to do is talk to the creators tonight about the stories they're working on, because uh, when shit gets tough around the world, um, I want to have great books to um, get away for a while. So doesn't mean we don't care. But it does mean there are amazing projects that are live right now, and uh, we want to talk about them. So, Russell and Taylor, welcome to Explain Yourself. Thank you. Thanks for having us. So what we usually do is a little 30-second pitch for each new project. Um, Taylor, can you, if someone was walking past your booth at a convention, how would you describe House of the Queer Bodies to them? So House of the Queer Bodies is a modern retelling of uh, familiar fairy tales. It's about a, a girl who finds a portal beyond her bookcase that goes to a world where fairy tales and nursery rhymes are real. And she's on a quest with Mother Goose's gander to find the story that her grandmother has forgotten. Uh, she's going to a place called the House of the Queer Bodies because the queer bodies are those who remake forgotten stories into new creations. And it's kind of a metaphor for what we're doing here, taking uh, a book originally published in 1901, reimagining it, um, because it, of course, was based on centuries-old fairy tales. Nice. We're going to get a nice deep dive into it a little bit later. Russell Nohelty, welcome back. How are you, bud? Good. 
I'm going to say good for lack of a better lack of going into it. Uh, we're so, going to, we're going to take good. Good is good yeah. is great. Right good is good. Yeah. Uh, so Cthulhu is hard to spell is a comic anthology series across three volumes, which is the third one's on Kickstarter. Now it's 107 stories about the gods and monsters of, uh, of the Lovecraft universe. And it's stories from cute to scary and everything in between. The thing that really sets it apart is there's very few, there's a ton of anthologies of Lovecraft. Uh, if you want horror, but very few that deal with the mythology. And I am nothing, I'm mostly a mythology mythology nut. Uh, and that's what really drew me to Lovecraft's work in the first place. And so uh, this is really takes the uh, the gods and monsters and displays them in everything from very scary to very cute scenarios. So we're going to do the deep dive on Cthulhu's Hard to Spell first. How did you come up with the idea to tell your um your anthology and three volumes and can you can you bring us into what each of the three volumes kind of is the theme and you're centered on and ignacio how are you this evening so so i know that each um anthology volume has a specific theme can you uh talk us through those sure so uh i when i developed this so first of all i'm not a lovecraft not uh, not, not lovecraft like uh 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 a uh, huge lovecraft fan from back when i was a child in the same way that i wasn't a comics fan until uh, uh back when i was a child either um but what i so i came to lovecraft really about five years ago um, when when everyone that I know uh, uh, that was in my fandom really was like, I love Lovecraft. And so I started mm -hmm. reading him and I realized that like he influenced just everything in everything in pop culture. I mean, I can't think of a horror author in maybe even an author. Eh, probably there are authors that are as influential, but that 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 have that, that that have been remixed and uh, remastered as much as him everywhere from the abyss with james cameron to uh, in the mouth of madness to event horizon and and uh and 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 literally everything in between there's pretty much not a a a, a piece of of pop culture that hasn't been influenced by hp lovecraft and that's the part that really interested me the the, the remixing remastering not that i don't like the originals um but um the originals uh, do have a formula because they were all done for pulp magazines. So like they're very formulaic. And once you've read maybe like 10 Lovecraft stories, like they become, there are different ones, but like they become very repetitive as a rule because like he wrote for pulp magazines, like these were mm -hmm. done in shorts for pulp magazines. So um, uh, I was really, I was really influenced by like the influences that he has and bringing out and, and, and making an anthology series that dealt with that. So um uh we uh, in, in designing that i decided our first anthology was called monsters and other scary shit and uh it was a monster anthology about monsters and the, the the hook of that was like these were monster stories but they could be fantasy monster stories sci-fi monster stories prose comics pretty much anything and uh when we went to lovecraft we kind of just brought that same thing over and the 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 the, the, the thing that i realized in doing my research is Aside from Call of Cthulhu, there's almost nothing about the mythology. Like, there's nothing that focuses on the mythology itself. I'm not saying there's nothing, but like, there's there's effectively very, 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 very little on the mythology, especially compared to how many stories there are about like Lovecraftian horror and how many anthologies and how many just books are about that. So, um, I decided I wanted to do an anthology in three parts. 
the first part being the Lovecraft gods planning to invade, mm -hmm. uh, which is uh, our first volume. The second volume is uh, gods invading and taking over the universe. And third, uh, the one that we have on uh, Kickstarter now to end the trilogy is uh, Lovecraft gods, uh, Lovecraft gods uh, versus mythological gods and humanity in a fight for uh, in a fight for their universe. And it really ends up being, especially I launched the second volume March of 2020. Mm -hmm. So you can imagine uh, <laughs> this is uh, it's, it's been a, it's been a, 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 an interesting two years. Uh, I'm really before. glad you're not going to do a fourth volume then. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we launched this one in like this war in Europe. We launched a lot. So it's been so. Uh, so what I really started thinking about when we, I originally had this anthology up right after the previous anthology, and I was like, mm -hmm. I told people that I was going to do it. I just couldn't. I was burnt out. I needed time away from mm -hmm. all of this stuff, and especially away from Lovecraft because Lovecraft's thing is the world, the universe doesn't care about you, and that should make you scared. Um, that's kind of, I mean, you could come up with your own ethos or your own like uh, log line for Lovecraft's work, but like to me, that's what his work very often is about. Like, there's a mm -hmm. creature that has that doesn't care about you, they will wipe your mind, and you should freak out about it. Mm -hmm. And like, that's very hard when the pandemic, when there's a pan global pandemic, uh, and, and and the world is falling apart. Mm -hmm. uh, so, we came back. It's kind of like when they came back with Ichabod Volume 2. It's like I just couldn't deal with the bleakness of Ichabod Volume 1. Mm -hmm. I have a book called Ichabod Jones uh, Monster Hunter. The first volume is, it's funny, but it's oppressively bleak. Yeah. Uh, if you've read the, 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 next, the rest of the books, it it's becomes much more filled with hope. And it's very hard to fill a Lovecraft anthology with hope because mm -hmm. like, there's very little hope in Lovecraft. Um, it's kind of his thing, mm -hmm. uh, but I, I, it sort of became this idea of like, what wins out? Like, cause my idea is like the world, it means nothing and existence means nothing, but like, that's hilarious to me. Like right. I'm an absurdist, like Camus <laughs> and Sartre and, uh, and Dali, like, those are like my, those are like my, 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 my favorites. Right. So it became this idea of like, what would win, like hope or fear. And I, I'm still unsure how people will feel about this anthology. Cause I don't think it's going to end. Like people think the people may want it to end, but mm -hmm. I hope it's like a Lovecraft anthology that shows we really love the mythos, but like, also we took a lot of liberties with the mythos. Like my story is, is a uh, Lovecraft uh, is, is Cthulhu versus Zeus wrestling match. Yeah. And like they're fighting over the fate basically of the universe. And that's kind of the theme of like uh, 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 fear. First one is like fear, like being overwhelming. Then then it like overwhelms you and takes over. And like, can you like, and can is there enough hope that you can like beat off, uh, fend off these like demons? And that's sort of the anthology in three parts. And I think that we can do it. We can, we, can, we can tell that story because not because of Lovecraft's work, because Lovecraft's work is oppressively bleak, mm -hmm. but because because the anthology really is about all of the ways that people have subverted and taken it and made the, the made the mythos their own. Um, you know, we have a lot of uh, of of, uh, of women and LGBTQ and and BIPOC creators 
And we made that very clear that we want that we made a big push for that because like Lovecraft, like hated those people. Okay. Hated All right. Easily. Not like a good human. He yeah. kind of repeated about good. it on his, on his, on his, on his death, on his like deathbed and in his later letters. But like yeah. the majority of his life, like he had, he, he had some issues, but so we wanted to bring in a lot of different voices that could tell a lot of different stories and like sort of build out the mythos as like beyond just this one human, because it really mm -hmm. was like, it was one human who created it. But the reason that it, that it manifest that, that it still is, is endures is because um, Robert, uh, Robert E. Howard took it over and then other people took it over. And then like, they all became stewards of this of this universe and as a creator the uh, the so few things are 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 shepherded after you die like mm -hmm. even by your closest relatives so the 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 part of the lovecraft mythos that i really identify with is a the mythology part of it and b like the idea that like you by almost by like making all of your work in the public domain during your life, like, and, and asking people to remix it and work with it. Like you can have a legacy that lasts far more than your own work. That was a long, I was a long, long, long winded answer to your conversation, to your question, <laughs> but, but like something like that. But I do love the fact that you have the two mythology, well, not two mythologies, but you have the one mythology and then other mythologies fighting it. I, I can't help but think of, you know, Cthulhu versus Zeus is, you know, one guy just wants to eat us and the other guy wants to turn into ray of light and fuck us. Yeah. And, you know, like, I'm rooting for the guy who wants to fuck us. And that's, <laughs> I didn't think I'd ever say that until you put the two against each other. Well, the thing is that 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 the, the, the beauty of, of Lovecraft's mythos is that it is a mythos that exists outside of religion. Mm -hmm. So every other mythos, really, whether it's Egyptian or or uh, Mesopotamian or, or Greek or Roman or, or Norse or whatever it is, Sumerian, like they all focus on humanity. Like mm -hmm. they all are like humanity is like uh, this, this exceptional thing, almost like earth in the Marvel universe. We're going through the Marvel universe. And I'm like, wow, like why is earth the thing that Dormammu wants more than anything in the world? Why earth? Like it's, right. I mean, I think maybe we find out later. I mean, if, if you're like 10 movies past that, maybe it makes sense now. But like, <laughs> I, we're watching that. I'm like, what? What do you mean? Like, like, why is why are we special? And what I guess there's a third thing that I responded to in the Lovecraft's work, which is like this idea that like humanity is not special. And like these gods who are so overpowered that like they can they can make and destroy planets that the universe lives inside of their mind that those things wouldn't care about us. And like, it was just, it's a very refreshing. I know it's to say Lovecraft is refreshing is like kind of, uh, kind of uh, an oxymoron, but uh, I found that, that because it exists outside of and not commenting on other religions, because like I have gods in my mythologies uh, and like, but they're all commentaries on like the other gods. So this was kind of just like a, a thing that is very, very different. And um, I think that, 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 that there's probably many other mythologies that did this over the years, but there's none that endure quite so much and don't have even something like Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe or, or Wizard of Oz. Like those characters are like very Christian, Christian coded. Yeah, yeah. 
and uh, and and Lovecraft's work is just is not. Mm-hmm. So you you mentioned the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, which immediately with the thirty second pitch about the House of the Queer Bodies, you talked about the the portal behind basically the closet. Um, Taylor, I. I I want you to kind of uh, come into this conversation because obviously you're playing with uh, public domain. You're playing with how do you guys work, both of you, within public domain and branch off? It's something that I'm interested in because I've never done it. So how do you guys figure out what to be true to and what to uh, turn on its head? Uh, Yeah, so I thought the... um the uh, adventure through the bookcase was a really cool note to experience. And, and um, the original book is called as the goose flies. Uh, and, and I went to look up and it's like, okay, how does this compare to things like Chronicles of Narnia? Because it's, you know, going to the magical world of fantasy beyond the large piece of furniture. And it like predates it by 50 years. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Cause Narnia was, I think in the fifties, um, this came out in 1901 uh and it just kind of you know people have always had these stories of whisking away to the magical world um recently isekai anime is like really big um and like the manga where you're like ah i'm reborn or trapped in this other strange world but like never-ending story um you get so many of of these themes so i just love that and i think you already get those themes that permeate through the way that we tell stories and so to just grab one that does it well and Mm -hmm. and to remake it is to remake one thing but it's also to join the larger conversation a larger theme um i think russell you probably kind of like encountered that where yes you're doing lovecraft but you're also doing like a million other horror and a million other like mythologies because to to pick one and and explore that one you can't help but interact with all of the other things that are, are doing similar themes and doing similar uh, stories. And, and just interacting with it as a, uh, like as in a level, like I never set out to be like an expert in Lovecraft, nor did I set out to like defend this person. Uh, I just liked the mythos and the amount of times that you have to like you basically have to become an expert in that thing and then like know where it's, it's, it's like writing anything you have to know like what theme you want to explore and then you have to figure out what pieces you want to take and write run straight and what pieces you want to subvert and you know there are some great i think uh simon burks does some great uh retellings of like lovecraft's books and like a lot of horror stuff and that's very true to Lovecraft, like just Lovecraft in general. But you kind of had to to figure out first and foremost, like, am I telling a straight retelling in the same mm-hmm. genre, in the same thing, or am I doing like something completely different? In our Obsidian Spindle Saga books, like we took elements of public domain and mythology and made like our own complete thing. But some of the people who do the, the Cthulhu is hard to spell books, they just want to tell a very straight story. And like, that's okay too. And I mm-hmm. think you have like, those are the two pieces. And then in between you're, you're, you you have to think like, okay, this was 1901 or I'm rereading Wizard of Oz. So like similar time periods, like all the stories and mm-hmm. uh, you know, which, what pieces of that am I going to leave 
Like, and what am I going to, um, to, uh, to, to, to update? Like sometimes, uh, L Frank Baum is very like trans friendly and like, and like LGBTQ friendly. And then like four seconds later, he will just cut everything that he just said, like in like a, with a knife. So like, which, which of those are you update? Like, are you updating that to like take out maybe like the things that should have been inappropriate in 1901, but somehow still made it to print, which is ghastly or like, uh, or are you telling a, more, a different story that is set in that world that you're just using the characters or like, like what, where are you falling on that sort of like straight retelling to I'm just doing whatever I want and using the name spectrum. Yeah. Uh, you brought up Simon Burks. That's the, the Innsmouth story he did. I was involved in kind of a, a, a I was sort of the, the bystander of a conversation where someone basically asked, Hey, uh, I like this story, but I can't deal with the overt racism. How are you handling that? And he said, basically, we're confronting it head on. We are going to confront it in our telling. And it's, it is interesting to go back to these things that were easy to, well, not just get away with it. It was just, that's what you did at that time. And now we've got these enduring stories with these extraordinarily prob problematic moments and do you do you t cut them out with a scalpel or do you show everyone what they are and twist them and I, that had to be part of all of these conversations with the the team uh, yeah for me like we actually in this in the last uh the, the last story of the second volume uh is on lovecraft dies in the end i think is what it's called uh by uh terence grace and we confront that head on like that he was like not a good person like he may have he may have become he may have cut the edges off of his horribleness like in the last years of his life but like that like that is a that is always a hard thing to do because wizard of oz and and peter pan and 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 uh and uh alice in wonderland and all of the portal fantasy that i love as a kid like and love now like they're some of my favorite stories you know i'm in uh, travis gibbs uh series the cthulhu hates uh, the cthulhu invades oz and the cthulhu hates wonderland and like it's hard to like confront those things and and especially now i'm 40. like when i read these things originally you know i was in my teens and mm -hmm. like not to not that i was not not to uh not to um like ex um make excuses for like a dumb kid but like i was like they didn't talk about this stuff in the nineties. Like this was not a thing that like you could easily find and explore. So it's very hard to go back now and figure out where you draw that line, especially with someone as problematic as Lovecraft was. And we did that by like literally saying here is a bunch of like queer, uh, by BIPOC, mm -hmm. like women creators who like are going to give you their spin on like what they think of the mythos. Well, let's go well, back I think to this. Kinda, oh, go ahead. Sorry. I was going to say, you kind of have that, that opportunity to, as an anthology, that you don't have to pick just one approach to do it. Like you said, some take it straight, some take it head on, some, you know, reinvent. Uh, and, I, and I think in the anthology format, you really do have that room to um, just to, like explore and, and have fun with the approaches. Um, and it doesn't have to be like the the one uniform you you right. picked this choice and now you're sticking to it right yeah. 
Yeah, but I, I do think that not picking a choice, uh, not picking away, is picking a choice, right? Like mm -hmm. when I yeah. when I put together an anthology, like I I I you can't just do like two different st styles, right? Like if you're like gonna do, you're either gonna do like one straight style, maybe like two very similar styles, or like all across the spectrum. So, um, and I just I see Charlie's comment, and I just have to say like it is so beautiful. Like uh, Taylor's book is so pretty. Like I had backed it just looking at it. I kept looking at it. And then I was like, I have to back that. I have yeah. to have it. So. Yeah. No, I mean, speaking of pretty, if you're watching this live, we're looking at something pretty gorgeous, but uh, yeah, we will get to <laughs> the art and Taylor's yeah. book. Um, I, we can't, unfortunately with an anthology, the size and three volumes, we can't get to every, um, every creator. Is there anybody uh, writer artist who's brand new to, the anthology that's coming on board. Oh my goodness. So many. Uh, so we never had Trina Robbins before Trina Robbins, the first artist for, um, for, uh, for the first female artist for wonder woman. And she did a story with, uh, Leonie Moore that, um, um, that was wonderful. It was a date with Cthulhu and it's just, it was great. It was, it's so funny. It's like, it's like a romance, uh, it's like drawn in the style of romance, uh, mm -hmm. but it uh, it's uh, it's it's like a it's Cthulhu like on a date, and it's just so funny. Um, uh, uh, if you scroll up, um, oh. uh, Camry Lapka's story. This is the first time we saw Camry. Camry was the artist on Black Market Heroin. Um, mm -hmm. We've had Nick Doan before uh, in his book, but never with Aaron Thompson, uh, who you're passing by. And their story is great. It's very much like. Um, I love that that each time we get to be like, oh, we didn't have this thing in the mm -hmm. book. And now like we can add these things like we've never had a story in the first two volumes of uh, Shub Niggurath. And that was um, that was um, uh, Camry's story. And you know, we haven't dealt with Carcosa much. Um, uh, and Dee Parson is is new. He has a he has a he has a few uh, uh, comic strips, uh, Life with Karami, um, Rosebuds. And then pen and ink. Oh, and um, I, have, uh, I have to say a good buddy, J.D. Oliva. That's, you know, I'm, I'm not saying he wasn't in the other ones, but I just see his name and I, I love the dude. So I got to give he, him a shout out. Yeah, he, he's so cool. I mean, it was not he has a, a series with the, the characters. Um, I can't remember the guy's name. I think it's Jeremiah something. But uh, he was able to bring his book, his, 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 his series into comics. Mm -hmm. um, Holly uh, Interlotti, um, uh, Jamie Primack. Like there's just so many who are new uh, and some that are new that have not done comics before, uh, at least that I know of, uh, like Tara Sanguin. Um, and we always have we try and bring like a bunch of new people. And that's a combination of open casting mm -hmm. and of, of doing an open call, but then literally reaching out to, 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 to the communities and such. And a lot of that uh, Chris Simon does because uh, there's just a lot of communities I can't reach mm -hmm. because like I'm not invited. Like I cannot join women in comics with some of the women in comics groups. So like Chris uh, Simon does a lot of that work. Um, but what's been wonderful about the book is we started the first book. We said 50% of the book of the stories in this have to be from a marginalized group. Um, and it was, uh, especially because I didn't have a co-editor, it was tough to get to hit that the first time. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, and then the second time, I had Chris and it became, you know, it was easier. Uh, this third time 
we didn't have to make anything because it was like there was 65 percent of the story something like that uh fit fit that quota already and i think i mean we i, I talk about a lot of with anthologies but like i i feel like i need to i, ha I haven't made this explicitly clear is like i i made an explicit choice with the assumption that like if i made it mandatory and i went out for myself to find other voices of creators especially because this was lovecraft i could uh, by the time that we got a few books down we would no longer have to have it because not because because there were amazing creators but i was blind to them like mm -hmm. i just did not see them and so by by opening my eyes to them eventually we got to the point where this one like i looked at all of the submissions and i did all the calculations and i was like oh well, we had all the people that were back and then we had people who like who who who, who submitted hopefully because they were like no russell is like wrestling chris are cool but, uh, and 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 eventually these other kinds of art and other kinds of stories percolated in and i was very conscious of it and i think that like um especially if you're uh, a white cis creator like that's probably the most people you hang around are going to be, are in that group and yeah. if you are not consciously making that choice to 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 look you will then uh not find and you'll fill anthologies and it'll all be the same voices and when you're doing something uh especially like lovecraft lovecraft is an example like we do not need one more white dude like telling a lovecraft story ever like that's a <laughs> hundred years you got a hundred years of that like i was very interested in seeing different kinds of people tell different kinds of stories in that universe and because the universe is rich but it's yeah. not rich with diversity and every time i do a book i try to look at who is going to be in the book and i'm almost always disappointed and whenever i bring it up it always is i don't like i just didn't think about it i'm like no yeah. you, of course like you're not thinking but you have to consciously think about it if you ever want to unconsciously not have to think about this you have to consciously think about it now and it's tough because people shut you out and mm -hmm. like white men very 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 easy to get them in an anthology because like they speak up like they speak up all of the time mm -hmm. you have to work to get most other marginalized voices in there and like it's worth it in the end because the the stories are the books are way better for it. Um, but if I didn't make that conscious, if I didn't look at the first anthology and be like, wow, these are all like white dudes in this story, huh? Uh, and then say, I want it to change. I want this. I don't want this to be like the legacy that I leave. Mm -hmm. I had to consciously go out with the intention of doing that. And I'm so proud that what we, the, the thing that I thought at the beginning was like, if I do the work now, it will become we'll, we'll get so many good creators i won't have to think about it later and i still think about it don't get me wrong but like it was yeah. so nice that once we had the final submissions we like didn't have to we didn't have to do any work we didn't have to so, go anywhere so you so you planted a field in a way that people were happy to come and bring their own seeds later on exactly and i hopefully what happened was like they saw I, after the first one i was like if I'm going to make this commitment, I have to hire a, a, an editor who is not me, like just mm -hmm. to, to do that, who like will deal with submissions and will be able to help and will be able to give a different voice, different feel to the mm -hmm. anthology. And she brought amazing creators. She brought, um, uh, she's the reason we got, uh, Chris is the reason we got Paul Jenkins is the reason we got um, Ray Anthony Haidt. Um, it's the reason we got Trina Robbins. 
uh, is, is because of Chris. So, uh, so like her work was invaluable, just not, not just being able to reach, but she was able to reach out to other communities that I didn't have access to. And she was able to hopefully what I've heard is like, it showed that like, I did have a commitment. Like I was hiring, I was spending a lot of my own money, like to bring people in who were, who had varying viewpoints and varying, mm -hmm. uh, lift experiences than me. And, and by slowly, and then by the, again, by the third anthology, we kind of didn't have to make that, those, those choices anymore. Um, and that may change if we do a fourth or a fifth or whatever, or would do I do another anthology, but I'm hoping that like, I now have a very strong stable of like creators that I can rely on, um, uh, that are not only uh, white men, not that I don't love, mm. uh, uh, but it gives, and it gives no. just richness to the experience of making comics and of the kinds of comics that you can make. Yeah. No, uh, it, it, I think it's it's definitely something that you sh that is a worthy goal, and the fact that you have achieved that goal is something not just a worthy goal. It's like the best thing to do. Like it's not. Yeah. I'm not like a hero for doing this thing. It's just like the books are better for having yeah. like all these other voices. Like yeah. I am a better creator. Like I am a better editor. Like the books are better. Like it's just like you are stupid if you're not doing this, if you're not actively doing it. Like, I mean, I made like the playful pitch like before, but like the honest truth is like these books would suck without all of the other voices. Like they are right. better because of that. Like the right. reason why it feels different is because there are different voices that are telling stories in this universe. Like otherwise it would just feel like the same book that you've read a hundred times before. And so, yeah, no, please. Like this is, this is just the thing everyone should do because it makes comics better and it makes your work better and it makes you a better creator and a better human to have other people around who do not look like you. So right. it, like at the end of the day, the book will be better. Like your, you will make more money. It will be a better thing for everyone involved to have all of these things together. It's not a charity case to do it. It's a thing yeah. that you should be doing because like you've been, you want to make more money and make better books and make books that are going to resonate for longer. Because like, frankly, the, like the, the longer that we go in this timeline, like the more marginalized voices are going to be like the mainstay of books and comics and all of this stuff. And like, you don't want to be sitting there 10 years with like your, your books that you've only had like white dudes work on and be like, Oh shit. Like I'm literally right. irrelevant now. Yeah. <laughs> so speaking of people who want to make money, let's get some eyes on house of the queer bodies and, and, <laughs> and look at that art Taylor. Uh, I'm going to go to the screen and I know Russell, you've got a lot going on. Please hang with us as long as you can. And if, if your schedule uh, needs you to go, to your other responsibilities we can i say one thing if upset. i have to go yes uh in case i have to go is so right now we just crossed eighteen thousand uh, dollars a little bit before this live stream that means we have we this morning we unlocked hell strawberry um from your collaborator and uh <laughs> and like father like daughter from cat kalamia nice uh just a couple of minutes ago we unlocked um we unlocked jupiter jet uh from jason inman and victoria robinson uh, and a print by Mary Bellamy. Um, if we cross nine thousand dollars before nineteen thousand dollars before the uh, two seven between uh, by Sunday night, um, we'll be unlocking uh, uh, nine Twilights by um, Agnes Mortensen and Andrea uh, Rosales, who's helped me a ton this year, and Warhead Volume One by um, 
Katrina Kunstman. No, that and one then at has 20, such amazing art. That one it's is so great. Like it's so art. underappreciated. And she's these she's in the book. She's in all three volumes, and her work is underappreciated in every mm -hmm. single one of them. She's so good. Um, and then finally, uh, twenty thousand. We're gonna do Pistol uh, from Jessica uh, Jessica Maison, uh, and then Tart Volume One. I mean, I'm sure most Who's people that? here have Tart Volume One. Uh, if you're on this stream, probably know what that is. But like, we are gonna be giving it away um, if uh, if uh, we're doing. And there's something like to there's something like twenty comics that we're giving away already. I mean, if you go to the page, you will see just the ridiculous amount of comics that you get for backing early on top of uh, unlocking all of the perks that we have along the way that we unlock um, and uh, getting some cool Cthulhu books and being able to, what I like, what I love about the, the Cthulhu uh, anthology is I'm able to introduce you to new creators who are inside the book. So most yeah. of these creators, Pen and Ink, to, to, uh, from Deep Parson to Travis Gibb, to Claire Leslie, to um, Timothy Fling, to uh, Brittany Primack, all of these creators, almost all of them um, are inside the book and you're able to then go say, oh, wow, I really like that, th th that work. Let me see if there's anything in these bundles for them. And like, they probably will be something. Yeah, no. And that's a beautiful way to get a bunch of different books. It's uh, an honor to uh, be part of it. And I, I hope they make it. And people got to read Hell Strawberry because that's Ludo. Uh, that's just him getting to draw exactly what he wants to draw. So you know that it's going to be gorgeous. And this is not about Hell Strawberry. The art is beautiful in the book, Charlie Stickney says. And and that is speaking about House of the Queer Body. So Taylor, I'm going to pull up the screen and uh, let's do a deep dive on this book. Where did the inspiration come? Did you know about the uh, book beforehand or were you looking for a book to work on and and ended up finding it yeah so i just i enjoy works in the public domain um i spend a lot of time on project gutenberg.org um i think it's .org it might be .com i don't know i just google it um <laughs> but it's a fantastic resource of um works in the public domain uh and i just like reading through it and um to kind of go off of um what russell was saying it is in no way difficult to find plenty of works written by men. And so it was really mm. interesting for me to kind of deliberately search for um, fantasy in the public domain by female authors, mm. um, which, you know, you think in modern times, like, oh, yeah, you can find that. But like pre-1920s, it was very difficult. So um, I would just kind of read through and read different ones. Um, and when I found uh, As the Goose Flies by Catherine uh, Pyle, I was just kind of charmed by it uh, because it tells this, uh, you know, portal fantasy. Um, she goes world to world. Um, Robin and I were kind of joking on a podcast the other day uh, that it's kind of the like kingdom hearts of fairy tales almost uh, <laughs> because Ellen and uh, the gander go from kind of like fairy tale world to fairy tale world um, interacting with different uh, familiar characters. Here we have, um, the the five little piggies that you might mm. know from going to the market getting roast beef etc um which uh you know and they make a comment that they don't get to hang out with the the pigs that were in the brick house straw house wood house mm -hmm. because they got a full story and they're just from a nursery <laughs> rhyme they, they just they only get a rhyme they're not uh fully established so it was kind of fun um doing um this, this story and uh as you 
it goes through, it eventually leaves the familiar uh, um, territory of, you know, the the Western European Charles Perrault uh, Mother Goose stories. Um, we see Aladdin. Um, we see. Uh, um, I was going to say Bluebeard, but I think that's back to Charles Perrault. Um, but there, there is this expansion, and then ultimately. Um, kind of an original mythology that Catherine Pyle started to create with the um, the the queer bodies, and I thought them as characters was such a uh, really um, it, it just kind of resonated with me as these like beautiful beings that kind of exist beyond the land of fairy tale, uh, who who take the dreamlike. A substance of of things and and thoughts forgotten and, and stories that slip out of, of memory and they remake them into new um works of art um and it wasn't until like much later that i actually kind of connected the metaphor of oh that's kind of what i'm doing um but the uh yeah so the book was just something that i kind of happened across uh and i think russell you're definitely right when you don't set out to be an to be be an expert of the thing that you're adapting, but you kind of become one. I ended up right. researching like a lot about Catherine Pyle uh, because she was woefully underappreciated. She made some like 50 plus books in her time right. um, or like had a hand in. She wrote and illustrated 30 of her own and wow. either edited, wrote or illustrated in um, over 50 books uh, in, in her lifetime, she lived 75 years, um, but her brother was more, Howard Pyle was more famous than her, uh, and he kind of got most, of, he kind of overshadowed her in that way, um, in the way that, you know, 1900s kind of is. Um, That's okay, Gomer Pyle just wiped them both off the map. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and so, uh, yeah, kind of rediscovering this, uh, and then telling the story, um, y your question of how do you know what to preserve, what to tweak and what to throw out the window was something of a discovery process for me. Um, I set out to adapt the book into a comic almost as close to one-to-one -one as I could originally, uh, where, you know, if they set it on the page, they, they set it in uh, the, the comic. And then I hired a fantastic editor, um, Jasmine Walls, who was like, How, what if we didn't, though? What if, uh, what if you kind of made it your own thing? And she was really inspiring and kind of gave me the permission that I didn't know that I needed to... Um, because th this is my first, um, time writing. I've, I've spent a lot of time in the world of comics. Um, and I, in, in my past life, I, uh, and I mean that in terms of the job that I used to work, not in a metaphysical sense. Um, I, but we, worked... we can get into that later if you have stories, <laughs> we can go yeah, where we uh, need to go. I have these dreams, you know, um, uh, <laughs> I, I used to um, do project management and artist representation uh, in, in the comic book world and uh, got to see a lot of the behind the scenes happening. Uh, got to work with a lot of artists and writers um, and editors in that support role of, of management. Um, and, you know, comics has always kind of been a first love of mine. I've spent the last uh, five or six years publishing tabletop role-playing games um, as Whimsy Machine. That's 
primarily what I do. Uh, mm-hmm. And after a particularly sizable project, I think it was Fight Item Run, uh, which was my, my last Kickstarter project that I did. I kind of needed a breather from games. Um, so this was kind of a, a creative unwinding project that I did of mm-hmm. adapting the script, but then working with Jasmine and becoming inspired to uh, take this story that I kind of approached with like, who am I to rewrite uh, the, this book? And she pretty much said, you're the author. You're the one doing this project. That's right. like, that's all you need. Um, uh, so through the, uh, the obstacles of imposter syndrome, right. We, uh, we, found different ways to modernize the language. I really like public domain works because there's a lot of really goofy ways they say things um, that I find fun. And there's little bits of that that we got to weave through. Um, But for the most part, the language has been overhauled so you can actually get into it. And it sounds like the way that people talk, Um, at least for Ellen, because now she is a modern person um, and uh, she, you know, talks like you would expect a person to talk in modern day or a child to talk. Um, mm-hmm. But sometimes these characters that she interacts with, you know, have that, that weird fairy tale uh, cadence to their voice. And I think that's kind of a fun um, uh, juxtaposition there. Um, what a huge compliment the- that is to your editor though, that she opened up your world as opposed to putting walls around you. I mean, that, you don't hear that about editors and that's one of the things that they can do best is actually help you expand things that you don't even realize that that's an amazing uh kudos to her for for doing that yeah jasmine has been fantastic to work with um she uh was really supportive um in you know like going through and you know not shying away from being critical of you know like cut this we like this is weird uh you know you know it doesn't doesn't make sense like you are the way that you've written this handle description is considered torture in probably like most spaces <laughs> for the artist a poor human has to draw this uh, not those words exactly but yeah uh, but she was also really supportive and saying like i love this this works well or like i laughed at this part um mm-hmm. and it's it's that positive feedback mixed in with a negative feedback that you're like mm, i didn't know i needed that so much i like that yeah. um but uh, w- yeah, working with her w- w- was really, um, uh, you, you know, um, invigorating, inspiring. Mm-hmm. Um, and when it came time to do the art, uh, there's a handful of artists that I, I reached out to um, because there's this kind of whimsical look that I was I was hoping for. Mm-hmm. And um, unfortunately, when you're a new writer with a game publishing (laughs) company who's never done comics before. And you're saying like, I have this like nearly 200 page book that I'm going to Kickstarter. (laughs) Do you want to lasso yourself to it? Um, A lot of schedules were pretty full. Um, And so I ended up doing an open call on Twitter. um, And uh, some of the artists that I'd reached out to were supportive of the project. They were like, it sounds cool. I just can't do it. Um, Mm -hmm. And them retweeting it i ended up getting like so many responses that it was like mind-boggling to go through all of them but uh, ultimately i found robin richardson through them and they have been wonderful to work with uh the the style exploration that we did now robin describes himself as kind of uh, a stylistic chameleon of being able to do a lot of different styles and not necessarily having um the the, the home style that uh, they can always go back to um, mm-hmm. 
but uh when we we started off what we, we were starting with the main character ellen and then the gander because we see them throughout the entire book we want to know what they look like um and since uh robin is from malaysia uh they pitched like can we make ellen malay and i'm like yeah let's do it um and so uh they they created um ellen based on um you know kids they went to school with and you know their own fashion sense growing up in in malaysia um as well as you know like family and just people that they they knew and and that way ellen became a really personal character for them in a way that she wasn't necessarily for me she was in in some ways uh and she was a character that i liked but i i, I loved that robin was able to put so much of themselves um in, into the character there um but we started out with just taking um ellen as we we see because the original as the goose flies is an illustrated book and uh robin just drew her in um just like a style like this is what the character originally looked like i'm gonna redraw it this is gonna be a style exploration i'll do like half a dozen or so styles we can kind of fix or find what we like tweak you know the iterative process in that way um and it was really funny because robin sent me an email that was you know, I was going to do a couple of different options, but I think I nailed it in one. And they sent the email and I was like, you did. Oh my God, yeah. you did. You nailed it in one. Uh, and one of the Kickstarter updates is kind of going through the process of how we designed Ellen together with those those back and forths and some of those inspirations and the kind of the story behind the character design. Um, but I was also really uh, happy to hear that the style that... Um, Robin end up kind of falling into for for this uh, for House of the Queer Bodies is a very comfortable style for them and wanting to do that to bring a sense of comfort and warmth and, and fantasy and wonder and whimsy um, through uh, House of the Queer Bodies, um, which I think is is wonderful to start on because through as we go through the book we're going to hit some of those horror scary elements that you would expect to see you know when they run into the big bad wolf um when we you know just go into uncertain worlds of uh like what's going to happen are we going to make it can we cross these these obstacles they go into you know an opaque wall of mist with these massive figures uh crossing like silhouettes and giants and it's it's a lot it's a lot for a kid to take in but we get to build mm. up to that and i i think the the science style that that robin achieved for for the comic is perfect yeah well what, i was gonna say pretty much perfect but that would be an understatement well the great thing is they create the style and then you get charlie stickney saying i had to back immediately when i saw <laughs> the pages so obviously they were right you know yeah. they picked <laughs> the exact right style and it, it does it fits the story you're telling at least from what i can hear now you said 200 pages. Is this volume that we are kickstarting a full 200 page volume coming at once or is it broken out in parts? Yeah, so this is part one. This Kickstarter is for part one. It comprises the first four of 12 chapters that House okay. of the Queer Bodies is in its entirety. Um, this one, uh, oh, this is the thing that the creator should know off the top of my one's head uh it's something like 50 odd pages um okay. 
so it's it's a it's a pretty good chunk of story um it takes us through the introduction to the world um we we see a little adventure of uh ellen and the gander uh, you know after meeting mother goose getting the sense of the the journey that they're going into that um ellen is uh upset over uh her her grandma who is getting older and is not able to remember all the stories there's this story that her grandma has never been able to tell her so she just ellen doesn't know how it ends and she doesn't know how to help her grandma remember how it ends and so when she gets into the world of fairy tales being real the first thing that she thinks of is hey there's this story that my grandma can never remember i know some bits of it can i find this story if it's real can i find it and and you know help her remember what it is uh, and mother goose is like yeah but it's hard uh <laughs> you're gonna need a goose it's dangerous to go alone um so uh that's that's the the start of our our, our hero's journey um it's not a hero's journey um turns out there's more than one myth uh <laughs> but they don't exactly know where it is because you know the house of the queer bodies is this um, you know, the, the fantasy beyond fantasy. Um, and so they, they stop in these different places, end up helping a lot of different characters with their troubles. And in the process, um, learn, you know, more about which way to go, how to interact with this world and how to um, navigate to, to where they need to go. The other part that I love about it is that it has that wonderful fairy tale, like intrinsically fairy tale element of help people get gift gift is helpful later um, <laughs> of you know there's almost something instinctually like video game item quest uh legend but, of know, zelda <laughs> yeah yeah hundreds of years prior like it, it's this thing where like you you find the bird trapped and you help the bird get free and the bird's like thank you but like the the others didn't help the bird and so when the the reckoning comes at the end because the main character was the one who helped the bird the bird comes back and helps you um and i think that 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 sense of, of charity kindness and compassion of of helping when you can of putting yourself out there when you can um that it ends up being what helps ellen when she needs it um is, is just that full circle effect that I love about fairy tale storytelling. Um, what is your reader's age range for this? Is this all ages? Is this teens up, mature readers? Yeah, so all ages um, is, is how I'm, I'm pitching it. Um, that I think uh, middle grade to young adult um, mm. as an uh, like, I... I don't know education world well enough to say it's like a young reader or anything. It's probably like reading level too high to actually pitch it to elementary schools or anything. Um, but um, I think the humor is something that like, I know I would have loved as a teenager, um, mm. but like, I also really like schmaltzy stuff. Now I am, I am 30 and I, I, I like that junk. So I think it's kind of one of those true all ages where um, you you know, it's it's charming and accessible to um, younger audiences. And I think there's a lot to love in there and a lot of, um, you know, positive representation in a way that um, I know something that's super important to Robin um, that uh, I've been doing a couple of things like speaking things with Robin and the both of us have been talking. So I, I kind of feel like I need to bring up their points too now. Please, um, please. We, um, we love to have artists on even in absentia. So please. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, 
but uh the the sense of getting to see queer people exist in fantasy in a way that's not about them being queer right it's it's not like the struggle of like this this world is cruel to you and you must overcome it or it, it's not necessarily about you know um having to 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 struggle and i think we get to see so there there there's a lot of important works that are cathartic for uh, working through um the the trauma of of queerness um which is the only marginalization that I can speak to personally, um, but um, is uh, kind of true all around. We get to see a lot of um, examples where th the marginalization is what defines their arc. Um, and for this story, we're just telling, you know, like one of the examples is uh, chapter four, when we get to see um, Jack and the Beanstalk, uh, he's already, you know, fought the giant cut the beanstalk down but uh the the woman that the giant had had captured once is still stuck up in the clouds and so that's the problem they need to solve but in our story jack is trans and it's it's not like he fought the giant because he's trans he's he didn't like not fight the giant because he's trans he's just a character in a fantasy story and also mm -hmm. he's trans um and i think that kind of representation of you can exist in happy fantasy world and it it's okay um, I think has kind of been one of those um, ways that, that that we wanted to um, approach the storytelling in um, House of the Queer Bodies. And I think that's really important for um, younger people to see. Um, I think it's absolutely something that is um, more prevalent now than it was when I was growing up. Um, you know, you didn't really see that sort of thing. And so there's a lot of heteronormativity. So to be able to see stuff that is outside of that and be like, oh, this is okay. And this is normal. Like that cartoons are doing it more and more, I think is, is always really um, like in inspiring and encouraging, you know, like uh, Korra and Asami held hands. So Shira and and Catra could kiss, and you know, like we we get these these bit by bit, and it's, it always feels like breadcrumbs. Um, so to to have something where you just have that like positivity, that's just like you know, here it is. Um, but yeah. also, um, I am an adult man, and I am writing a story, so it's there's probably going to be uh humor or elements or just phrasings of things that is is probably going to resonate to more my demographic of uh millennials that entered the world when uh the the recession happened and everything that we knew about uh adulthood is actually different um than everything that they were telling us it was going to be and cartoons are still fun <laughs> yeah yeah you know and yet the world just keeps getting better and better and better and you know we're just don't it though right don't it though <laughs> Well, gentlemen, I want to thank you very much. We're coming up on midnight Eastern time. This is about the time where we kind of set our sights on talking about the campaigns from people that have already been on the show, but they're still live. We're going to do this for uh, House of the Queer Bodies and Cthulhu is hard to spell as long as you are alive and as long as we are running the show, which uh, will next week. All right. So next week we'll do it. Um, 
once again, Cthulhu is hard to spell, an anthology. Russell, do you uh, do you have like a pretty link for if people are listening to this on the podcast that they can find it easily? Because boy, Cthulhu is hard to spell. <laughs> oh, I think you're muted. You're, you're muted. <laughs> I don't do that often. Um, there you go. <laughs> uh, so it's Cthulhu is hard to spell dot com, and there is a trick because most people forget the second H. That's the most common one. I've been editing this anthology now for almost five years, and it's easily Cthulhu is the number one most misspelled word. Um, Cthulhu. So, so you just remember the second H is for horror. Okay. It's, it's pretty good. You go to, kind of sounds like C-T-H. Yeah. And then Ool, it like sounds like U-H. So, but then the second H is the one that most people will cut off, just like the second L of my name. So it's Cthulhu is hard to spell dot com um, up until the 27th. We're trying to get to $20,000 in the first week. Yeah. Um, and you can get all three, um, all three volumes in this if you need to catch up, correct? You can get all of our books. <laughs> you can get, we have an, we have an all in with all of our, our hard covers, but yes, you can get all three books. Uh, we have pins. Uh, we have, uh, we have a, if you're a returning backer and you do at the physical level, you get a, uh, a sticker. It may not be this sticker, uh, but it will be a three inch <laughs> sticker, a Cthulhu sticker uh, uh, like that, but maybe not in hollow foil. Uh, that's for the first 50 people who uh, who back uh, at the at the physical level and are returning backers. Uh, so that's the first time we've ever done that. Um, and then every week, if you're listening to this later, like you can still hop on. Like the returning backer thing is through the whole campaign. So if you back any of our campaigns before, um, you uh, you can um, you can uh, you can get there and uh, and and back even if it's the last day. But we'll be unlocking stuff throughout the campaign. I have just so many stuff from the comics exchange, from collaborators, from stuff to uh, uh, to share, from prints to to, to books uh, and full volumes down to single comics. Uh, and yeah, I mean it's it's a fun time. You'll see. I mean, we didn't even get to see inside, but like you can see inside all the books. And most importantly, you can go to CthulhuIsHardToSpell.com and you can get a sample of uh, all three volumes of the book. If you just want to check it out and see like if it's your jam, I think if you like monsters, uh, uh, then it's going to be your jam. Like I'm a monster, I'm a monster, I'm a monster in mythology fanatic. So, so um, before second... you go, though, you have to answer <laughs> it, what does the second Ellen Russell stand for if the second H is horror? It stands for Lord, please don't forget the second L in my name. Look, I literally I don't care if you if you if you if you correctly say my name as Nolte, you say it as no healthy, you say it as no hilly, you just don't say it at all. But like, Lord help you if you don't have that second L. Like that second L is so because, important. Because Russell is for selling. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, so. It's a great picture of me to show that just has like, I was uh, like, has the S-E-L-L -L of my name there. And I'm like in behind my booth, like doing something yeah. ridiculous probably. Uh, <laughs> and so, yes, I just, and that's when I realized that my, my that there's sell in my name. Right. <laughs> yeah, uh, to spell com. Nice. So Taylor, how, um, house of the queer buddies, uh, one so you said you've got this is about 50 pages of the 200 it's about one third of the volume uh mm -hmm. when you're you're fully done with it 
um, is is Robin, are they working on the next volume now or are we getting through this Kickstarter first and then restarting? Yeah, so this and by we, is... I've already become part of your team. That's what Will and I do. <laughs> yeah, we're we're uh, all in this together. That's yeah, right. we 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 take way yeah. too much credit. Um, but <laughs> just as long as you know that now, it's okay. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, I love the support. Um, this Kickstarter is uh one of the the, the main goals is to pay for the art for the um in, entire uh, first part. Um, so we're we're getting through part one. Um, and then we'll we'll, we'll relaunch. Um, most likely not on Kickstarter if, if they continue, I, as you're scrolling through the page, you might have seen my, my statement on Kickstarter's, um, movement into the blockchain. Um, I don't know if that's been something that discussed on, on the channel before. I don't have to go into a blockchain rant, uh, <laughs> now. Um, I but, think we uh, need about eight hours to get through <laughs> all of the, uh, different point of views and, uh. Yeah. So yeah, Will and I kind of just go, we don't know. We're not, we're not completely fur we're not completely again, but uh, yeah, I, there's, I, I understand that with, with the blockchain thing, some creators are comfortable and some people are not. So we just respect what any creator is deciding for themselves on this, on this show. Yeah. And first and foremost is like, it's, it's really important for indie creators to, you know, get your bread. Like, yeah. Um, but, uh, this, yeah, this pays for this, um, everything that, uh, we're seeing on the page and, um, there's a couple of more reveals to come, uh, is, um, has just kind of been out of pocket, um, starting out. Um, and, uh, the success of part one funds part one. Um, and then I, I, that can be used as sort of uh, the vehicle because we're getting both print and digital um, mm -hmm. to kind of share it around. Uh, there's an awesome library tier um, where we can get more copies and libraries, get those relationships built up because I think that's super important, especially now with a lot of legislation making it difficult to be um, queer in public um, <laughs> or in school. Um, but uh then yeah um th then we move forward this campaign itself is really exciting because uh like i said when i posted the tweet of a, of a called artist i got a ton of submissions and it was just too hard to say no to everybody um so uh there are some uh, awesome um artists who are creating um additional work so um uh griffin flight um is doing these beautiful sticker sheets uh in this like kind of round storybook uh cute style that that i really love um and so there's there's sticker sheets um that you can get uh there are some acrylic charms um by uh momo juicy um which is uh funny handle to say out loud now that i've said it out loud um, and i thought you did uh, it really super... well by the way i was yeah. proud of you i didn't i, I wasn't yeah. looking at it to know but that was that was nice yeah uh and then um uh leslie supernova uh doing um that that print uh like the the postcard print is just like absolutely gorgeous uh of of alan writing uh, mother goose's gander um those are all rewards that are are, are tied into that um folk legend uh tier um and that's super cool because um there's a few different stretch goals going on in terms of like social promotion i have a 
the tweet that's pinned on my page if that hits like 100 retweets we're unlocking more stuff um nice. and so we have the option to add more sticker sheets more charms more postcards um that what all is, gets included what is that twitter handle so people can retweet for you uh at taylor underscore cs so t-a-y-l-o-r just like my name underscore c-s <laughs> um and uh if you want a punchy uh url to get you there uh whimsymachine.media is kind of the the home base i'm currently set up with a landing page that's going to tell you all about house of the queer bodies and direct you to the kickstarter um just in case kickstarter.com slash project slash whimsy machine slash house of the queer bodies part one is kind of chunky to remember um but yeah um I'm, I'm really excited about the campaign i think uh it's uh it's been fun to see the the, the feedback and um I it warms my heart every single time I see somebody like see the page and just like Charlie was saying earlier and they they see the art and I think particularly that page of Ellen looking through the bookcase as the flowers on her wall kind of turn into real flowers and that's what reveals to her that it's actually a portal and we just see the close-up of the fantasy world reflecting in her eyes it's such um, a great image both artistically and in terms of just like page composition and like yeah, I made the right choice. <laughs> and that's, that's as much credit as I can take uh, for, for Robin's amazing art. And that's as much as I will. No, that that's exactly what every writer in comics should do because our worlds don't exist without our artists and our artists worlds can exist without us. So um, that's, that's a beautiful thing. Gentlemen, you can hang with us as we go over the other campaigns or you can go um, enjoy the rest of your evening. So thank you very much, Russell and Taylor. Yeah, I'm going to get out of yep. here. Sorry, guys. But Thanks. Uh, uh, thank you so much again. It was nice meeting you, Taylor. And uh, yes, you as well, Russell. Soon. Good night, yeah. Russell. Take and care. Good night, Taylor. Um, oh, oh you can hang out. if you want. Oh, no, you're gone. I'm, All right. Yeah, I'm going to head out. Um, I'm, unfortunately, I'm still working stiff. Uh, and I do actually have to work tomorrow, which what is. You get, get your sleep. Cosmically that is no unfair. Yeah. That is no problem at all. And well, yeah. it is a problem for you to have to work, but it's not a problem for you going to sleep and getting to work. So it was That's great right. to meet you. And yep. a shout out to M. Storcher who put us in touch with each other. So I'm really happy uh, that M uh, got got this got this introduction made. So it was a pleasure yeah, to meet you. Yeah, super happy. All yeah, right. uh, thank you. Thank Thanks. you so much for having us. Take care. Have yeah. a good night. Good night, Taylor. Okay, so we were going to be joined tonight by Lisa and Brant Fowler, who could not quite make it at, at the as the show came up, and uh, we understand and we still love and adore them, but we do want to at least look at the Bloom Pretty uh, campaign Absolutely. that they were going to introduce. I'm going to pull that up. It is okay. a before we pull it up, it is a mature audience uh, thing, so it will be censored because Kickstarter censors. Um, you know, nudity, but just, you know, like, I don't think anybody who's on YouTube will care, but um, <laughs> if you do, uh, cover your eyes, because there's going to be some very, very um, extremely classy, but um, sexy art coming up on your screen, so. Well, and uh, it's also by a completely uh, all-female team, mm -hmm. so the writer, the artist, uh, everyone working on the book, uh, it's female, so it's uh, it's not your standard, you know, male gaze type thing. It's just uh, the art is just gorgeous, and you're right, very, very classy, very 
very tasteful. Yeah. The, the line art of the, the artists and we got to get to the, the team is just so elegant and mm -hmm. uh, it's, it's not exploitative, but it's just so sensual as well. I do believe, uh, and, and we are not on the team, so if we mispronounce uh, anything, I believe it is Carola Borelli is the artist on this. Lisa Fowler is the writer. Um, I think then, uh, Carola is also part of the Prison Witch team. I think they're having a kind of a crossover promotion between Prison Witch Volume 3 and Bloom Pretty. Oh, beautiful. Um, but I'm not going to guess what everybody else does on it. Um, and we're just going to scroll through fantasy, gorgeous art. As I said, it, uh, there are some censored things. So, um, you know, I, I can imagine that that page is going to be even more um, beautiful without a bar over the female form. Um, but, but it's just extraordinarily beautiful. The covers on this campaign are amazing so eye-catching um i cannot wait to read it i can't wait to see uh the story that lisa has written and that the whole team has put together this um you know fantastical uh deer buck when i say buck i, I you know it's a blue deer-like animal with flowery antlers and it's just such an intriguing uh animal i I don't know anything about this book and I am all on board for it. Yeah. And Lisa has been working on this for quite a while. And uh, I think she's poured a lot of, uh, you know, blood, sweat, tears and her soul into this. So it's. Yeah. And it comes from last Ember press, which is Lisa and Brant's company and all mm -hmm. of their books are always gorgeous. Mm -hmm. I yeah. I mean, look at the, the covers. Yeah. Look at the flowers there. I mean, that's just, so the art is just gorgeous. Mm -hmm. There is a reason that they have passed, I believe, what, 500 backers, 600 backers now? Um, um, I think they're closing in on 700, aren't they? Yeah. Um, I'm finally down to the cover, so I'm not going up to find it until we've looked at the covers. <laughs> I'll find it. <laughs> I will find it. It gives me a reason to look at it here, so... <laughs> I mean, this cover B by Lorenza, um, I'm not going to, I would mispronounce it, uh, the Princess Bride homage cover, and I am a sucker for reflections in the uh, in the thing. So, uh, oh, God, just gorgeous, just gorgeous. This is the Six, book. If you're listening to the podcast, I apologize that we're just <laughs> talking about art, but you can go to uh, Last Ember, uh, kickstarter.com slash projects slash Last Ember Press slash Bloom Pretty, or just search Bloom Pretty in Kickstarter and you mm -hmm. will see all this gorgeous art. It will cost you money because when you come on this page, you are going to back this Kickstarter. This There is and no... Um, get more than one cover and yeah, I'm sorry, your wallet's not going to like it, but it's definitely worth it. Yes, they have 696 backers and they are less than 500 away from passing $20,000 and... I, it is a campaign that deserves um, support like that. And so, 18, 18 days to go on it. So uh, while there is still plenty of time, uh, 
Yeah. I would say get in there, get in there soon. <laughs> <laughs> so Gerald says these guests can't hang with the late crew. You know, you, <laughs> you know, we're we're just made of sterner stuff. You know. <laughs> And he also says, oh, God, Bloom Pretty looks so good. And, you know, it is, it is, that's, that is, it just looks, it's just gorgeous. We had a, an embarrassment of beautiful art tonight with all three uh, projects. projects. Yeah. Mm -hmm. so, and we don't have to get up in the morning to go to work. So. Right. As I'm Ignatius not made says, my... <laughs> Ignatio says, know thy silvers are night creatures. That, <laughs> that is right. You know, Will's, uh, Will, you want to sell the name of your newsletter? Yeah, it's called The Midnight Hour because I am a uh, definite night creature. Um, yeah. Every time someone says, oh, man, I had to get up at like 5 a.m. or 6 a.m., I, I always have to come back with, there's a 5 a.m.? <laughs> <laughs> so, which, I, which I'm sure, you know, uh, earns me some ire, but, you know, that's the way I roll. Right. I would, you know, as I'm, I'm aging out of being able to uh, stay up until the sun comes up, but I would always rather stay up until the sun comes up than get up before the sun comes up. I Dude, am, I'm right there. My preference. Totally. That's me. <laughs> so Kickstarters that are still running. I'm looking for uh, Cat Dad and Super Mom Volume 2. Uh, Kickstarter slash project slash cat dad slash cat dad too. Uh, Rob Anderson was on talking about this. It is a comic for you to read to young children or for the youngest readers. Uh, just a cute little children's tale. Morals, ethics. Um, issue one was about whether um, bullying is okay and how you can handle the difference between bullying and tattle tattling on people and and what you do and the second volume is about how not everybody that you meet at a comic convention is going to be nice to you and uh the real superheroes behind comics might not be the actor that portrays them but the artists or writers that create them so uh you know as a writer myself i say whether that's true or not and whether i'm a butthead or not i'm taking that we're the heroes <laughs> i'm taking that's a win i'm taking that it is a win <laughs> Uh, let's see. Next up on the list, it looks like we have uh, the Breakneck Fantasy Anthology. Uh, oh who, yeah, who's doing that? Some guy is doing that. What's his name? Uh, I think we got a. I think we, let me find the uh, the banner first. There it is. <laughs> I, I I think that our chatters, Gerald Van Carr and Ignacio <laughs> de Miglia, have run this one through, and this is talk about gorgeous art. The cool thing about this one is all of the art is black and white, and mm -hmm. it is built to be a black and white book. The art is set for that. So it's sort of some of the, the you know, like it's all different styles. So I don't want to say what style it is, but each one of the anthology stories is absolutely gorgeous, breathtaking book, cool fantasy, and... Um, <laughs> Yeah, Gerald says Ignacio is doing it. It's all him. So we're just going to leave it at that. It's uh, it's all Ignacio. I think that there might be uh, an argument about all credit, but uh, we're going to go. And nice, there is 69 hours to go as we uh, read this now. And, and I would they check are at this out. 199 backers. So you could be the oh, backer that puts them at 200. I think you should be. Mm-hmm. 
All right, what's next? Uh, I've got um, Drumsticks of Doom, I believe. Yes, drum, Drumsticks of Doom number one, uh, which John, is a really kind of... Yeah. Has a really kind of cool uh, premise in that. Uh, what if the Beatles didn't become the most popular music of the '60s, but instead Black Sabbath did? So, and what if everything that our uh, grandparents told our parents about the evils of of devil rock actually <laughs> were true? Yeah, <laughs> and it did bring things into reality that um, are a little bit different. So I'm so there that one had werewolves, a yeah. Right? <laughs> so it, it's definitely uh, worth checking out and I believe there's one more you uh, mentioned it already Prison Witch uh, Pat Shand uh, co-writes this with his wife and I don't have the URL up and I don't remember her name so I apologize I'm not going to take away your credit but I can't actually give you your credit um, uh, it's a, a coven of witches in a prison and it is the final volume of three I had to catch up on this book, so I can't tell you much more than Pat's books are always great. Uh, mm -hmm. They're always fun, and he always delivers. So I just backed it on general reputation, but it seems like an extraordinarily cool campaign. And I have the link. It's Pat and Amy Shan. Pat and Amy, Amy. Shan are the co-writers. Yep. Nice. Uh, I have to ask you before you go, uh, talking about House of the Queer Bodies, Taylor was talking about how there was a missing uh, fairy tale and they wanted to find it. All I could think of was crossover division. Is this in the <laughs> crossover division universe? Uh, it could be. Uh, yeah, I'd never, I'd never heard of this uh, before. And, you know, I, I love that they're talking about, the, you know, the public domain, because when you get right down to it, you know, the public domain is kind of our, our cultural inheritance. You know, there's so much stuff in kind of the general zeitgeist and, you know, our, our culture that we pull on as artists, you know, whether we're doing, you know, if I, whether I'm, you know, stealing from Dracula or, you know, just using all these influences that have come down, you know, from, you know, Western literature or even, you know, literature of the rest of the world to influence us in what we create. I mean, it's just, it's amazing. I'm, I'm, it was cool to listen to them talk about the public domain. It was just awesome. Mm. I, um, I remember Clay Adams did a Kickstarter where the entire book was public domain comics and he literally used the art, but he rewrote all the dialogue and narration to change, <laughs> change the stories. So, you know, there's a lot of fun things you can do with public domain. Mm -hmm. in various degrees of, you know, morphing and changing it. And I, I think it's it, one thing it's great is it as as Taylor was talking too, and I didn't want to interrupt him. I was reminded of Airplane, the movie, when he was talking about this, because do you know the story of how Airplane, the movie came about? No, I hadn't heard this. OK, so the 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 Zucker brothers I know the Zucker brothers, and I don't know if Jim Abrams was part of this or not, but the Zucker brothers had a weekly live comedy show um, that was written. It was not improv, but it was written, and it was just sketches. It was their own 30-minute thing, mm -hmm. and it was much more like the Kentucky Fried movie than Airplane. Just sketch, yeah. sketch, sketch, you know, and they were always trying to find new ways to find uh, material. So... One thing that always worked were uh, commercial parodies. 
but you wanted to find the worst commercials. Well, when do the worst commercials air? 2 a.m., a lot, you know, midnight, 1 a.m. Yeah. So they would take their VCR recorder and they would just hit record and go to sleep. And the next day they'd wake up and they'd have four hours of movies, TV shows, and bad commercials. Well, one day they were sitting there watching for bad commercials and there was this, I don't remember the name of the movie, but it was a uh, movie, a very straight, serious movie about an airplane that takes off, uh -huh. food poisoning takes out the entire <laughs> flight crew, and they need to get a passenger out of the plane <laughs> to land it, and he has PTSD from the war and has to fight with landing this plane. <laughs> well, they decided that they didn't know how to write a movie because of the structure of a beginning and a middle and end. They didn't know how to do, but they did know how to tell jokes. So they stripped, <laughs> they took the entire plot and stripped out everything serious and threw all their jokes in it. And that is how we have airplane. Roger, Roger. <laughs> Clarence, Clarence. Clarence, Clarence. What's the vector vector? <laughs> So uh, if you stayed this long, you heard a little bit of airplane history, and uh, we, we really appreciate it. Gerald, Ignacio, Charlie, everybody who stopped by, uh, we, uh, yeah, I, I said to my wife, we have people who come in and they chat together. It's like, it's like doing this is worth it. So uh, you make it worth it, and we appreciate it. Um, mm -hmm. Good night, everybody. Yep. Thanks.